This audio presentation was pre-recorded and edited for brevity and clarity. Hi, I'm Michael Buckley with the Bright Focus Foundation, and welcome to today's Bright Focus chat, getting the right care for your AMD. If today's your first time with us, welcome. We'll tell you a little bit about Bright Focus and what we do today. The Bright Focus Foundation is a nonprofit funding some of the top researchers in the world. We support scientists that are trying to find better treatments and ultimately cures for macular degeneration, glaucoma, and Alzheimer's. And we share the latest news from research with families that are impacted by these diseases. We have a number of free materials on our website, brightfocus.org. And today's Bright Focus chat is another way of sharing this information. Let me tell you about today's chat, getting the right care for your AMD. We're really fortunate today to have Dr. Alan Glazier. He's an award-winning optometrist from in the state of Maryland, in the Washington suburbs. And today, he's going to tell us, kind of, kind of walk through um, uh, what different different parts of the, the eye care uh, world, different different specialists, and and we'll also answer some questions about the best way to uh, to receive eye care. So, Dr. Glazier, thank you very much for, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be asked to be on the show and, and excited to share my knowledge. Well, great. You're a first-time guest today, so I was wondering if you could tell our audience a little bit about yourself and uh, how or why you, you ended up uh, doing what you do. Sure. So I'm an optometrist, and I practice in the Rockville suburbs of Washington, D.C., and I uh, have some leadership roles in the industry. I lecture, and I, I, I write articles. And uh, actually, my, my foray was my first job was as a specialist in AMD and low vision, so uh, very relevant to this talk. I went into uh, optometry. I, w I originally wanted to be a vascular surgeon. Uh, and when I found – and my father was an optometrist. And when I found out how long it was going to take for me to get through the training, uh, I was 27 at the time. It sounded like for – I mean, I was 22 at the time. It sounded like forever. So I, 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 for the first time probably in my life, like a lot of us, I paid attention to my parents. And when I started looking at my parents and my father, I realized he was really happy with what he did. And in optometry – as a generally a non-surgical specialty, we, I could get out of school a lot younger and have a really, if I could be, I figured if I could be half as happy as he was, I'd have a great career. And that's what made me choose optometry. It's medical. We use medicine to treat eye diseases. In some states, we can do surgery. And uh, yet, it didn't have the, it didn't have the lifestyle or the time and school commitment of a vascular surgeon. Yeah, thank you. That's very interesting. That's what we want to do today is sort of walk through a handful of of professions with, within the field of vision health. And I think it will help our audience you know, understand the different roles that everyone plays and maybe help them uh, uh, you know, know how to go about getting the best care possible. So I was wondering um, if you could tell us um, about what an optometrist is and kind of contrast that with an ophthalmologist. Sure. It can be very confusing. I call it, We refer to them as the three O's, ophthalmologists, optometrists, and opticians. Uh, out of those three O's, two of them are doctors or physicians, optometrists, and ophthalmologists. Ophthalmologists first go to medical school for four years, and then they decide what they have to match for what type of specialty they want to be in, and then they go to further training for that. So they learn generally about the whole body, and then they spend between two and five years in their specialty training if they choose the eyes then they become an ophthalmologist. And in practice, ophthalmologists 
generally deal with diseases and surgeries of the eye. Some of them practice what we call primary care, where they are they are taking care of glasses and contact lenses. But generally, they 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 are they are working with the disease side of things. An optometrist goes both both professions go through four years of undergrad first. An optometrist goes to four years of optometry school which is focused on the parts of the body that are related to the eye and the head and neck in, in great detail for four years, specifically eye care. And then they generally, a lot of them go through residencies for another year or two where they get additional specialty training. So they do not go to a medical school, they go to an optometry school. And on graduating optometry school and passing their state licensure, they can practice in all 50 states now they can, they can prescribe medicines, uh, and in a handful of states now, they have certain surgical abilities as well. And opticians are generally tradesmen who uh, sell and make uh, eyewear and glasses and lenses. Just out of curiosity, are there more optometrists or ophthalmologists in the U.S.? There are a lot more optometrists. So uh, uh, around 70 to 80% of all the eye care in our country is provided by optometrists. There are, the, the number is debatable, but there are somewhere between, we believe, 37 and 45,000 optometrists in the U.S., and there's somewhere in the neighborhood of, of seven to 9,000 ophthalmologists. Well, thanks. Now, if someone were, you know, getting what I call routine uh, care for, you know, visual acuity through glasses or contacts, what might make them uh, consider going to an ophthalmologist? Well, uh, access to care is a big is a big issue. Um, sometimes there will be more availability for ophthalmology, but generally there's more availability for optometrists. Uh, generally. Ophthalmology, again, is referred secondary care. However, they do provide general eye exams. Uh, and uh, some of them, well, not most of them, have opticals in their offices. And very few of them uh, fit contact lenses. They often uh, delegate that to a technician or an optometrist that they have working for them. Uh, and then optometrists, of course, in their independent private practices generally fit and prescribe glasses and contacts and do general eye care as well. Uh, does that answer your question? Yep, thank you, it does. So I, as, as you sort of walk through that world of optometrists and opticians and ophthalmologists, uh, we hear people um, mention retina specialists. What, where do they fit in that, uh, uh, in that you know, array of, of, of occupations? Sure, within the ophthalmology specialty, there are specialists for different parts of the eye. And the retina is an area where when a condition occurs that reduces the vision and is continuing to re reduce the vision and needs to be treated, uh, generally both optometrists and general ophthalmologists will refer to a retina specialist who handles just that part of the eye. Uh, for macular degeneration, uh, both ophthalmologists and optometrists are capable of following it and making recommendations to try and stop it from progressing. But when it gets to the point where the doctor's concerned it's progressing, then often they'll refer patients to the retina specialist to apply their special training and help save the eye. Is that where those um, uh, injections that we, we talk about a lot on the chat, is that where they would come in at, a, at the retina specialist uh, 
Yes, yeah. The, the most common uh, injections that are given for maculate degeneration are for the wet form or in eyes where the dry form is converting to the wet form, and they give these anti-VEGF shots into the eye, into, into the uh, area around the eye where, where it absorbs into the eye and treats the, the disease. And that is generally given by a retinal specialist, yes. Okay. And, you know, I think a lot of us are familiar with physical therapy for, um, you know, for various, you know, various injuries or, or um, uh, occupational therapy. How does that work for, for vision? What type of um, uh, therapy and rehab services um, would somebody be able to, to access? So in, 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 in relation to macular degeneration, is that what we're asking uh, yes. about? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so in macular degeneration, if there is vision loss and it's it's impacting your life negatively, if you can't do the things that you used to love to do anymore, there are specialists called low vision specialists. These are generally optometrists with special training in in prescribing uh, powers of lenses and special devices for the particular type of vision loss you suffer. Not every type of vision loss for macular degeneration would be the same. And depending on what that is and what your needs are, they can prescribe generally magnifiers or telescopic-like devices. And now they, they use a lot of screens, a lot of uh, like iPads by enlarging print to help people read. And, and there's, there are specialists who, whose whole career is dedicated just to help with these, these use these and prescribe these assistive devices. That's great. And how, you know, in your practice, how do, do you, uh, do you refer people to, um, to low vision therapists or how does one uh, end up, end up uh, receiving that type of care? General, general uh, doctors will often refer to a low vision specialist. I, I started out as a low vision specialist, so I, I still perform it as part of my practice. I don't have a ton of people in the age range that, that need it from me, but when they do, I know what to do. But yeah, generally, you know, if you're suffering from macular degeneration, your doctor tells you there's nothing else they can do, and they haven't offered, you can ask to be referred to a low vision specialist. Mm -hmm. well, great. And, um, you know, um, uh, you're, you're in the, the Washington um, you know, s suburb area. I was wondering for, for people who live in rural areas, um, you know, that, that, that it might be a little harder to, to access medical care. Um, do you have any, any suggestions for, uh, for folks that are in, in rural areas? Um, sure, sure. Well, if, if there's not access to optometry or ophthalmology in those areas easily, uh, I, I recommend you put a call into the, the Lions Club, a regional Lions Club, because, and other organizations that do vision screenings periodically in the area. Uh, the screenings can help that do a very basic look and see how urgent a visit might be so that you can minimize your need to travel unless absolutely necessary. You can also, uh, for as far as it relates to macular degeneration, you can download online or, or, or have a doctor provide you with a, a simple tool called an Amsler grid, which is a, a grid on a piece of paper. And, and use that daily to, to monitor your eye for changes. And should you see a change on that grid, immediately you know it's urgent and you'll need to get to the doctor. Well, great. Dr. Glacier, I think I'll just stay on the rural area topic for a minute. I'm trying to think of ways to balance this. Like, let's say you lived in New Hampshire or Maine. 
you can probably get to Boston a couple times a year with some help, but yet your day-to-day life and medical care is generally um, you know restricted to close to your town is there a way that that patients can can balance the kind of more frequent care in a rural area with um, uh, some providers in the big cities I was wondering sort of how does how, how does that work uh, I'm not I'm not sure I have the answer to that I think that's a challenge that exists in our country um, the you know I, I of course we need more providers in rural areas, and until that happens, I, traveling is the only way I can think of. I do know, I do, I can say one thing that if you have never, if you're used to visiting an ophthalmologist and you've never considered going to an optometrist, I strongly recommend you visit one because there are more of them in rural areas than ophthalmology. Uh, so, so just maybe expand your your options in terms of which provider you're willing to see if you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good to know. So, um, have you, uh, since the pandemic started, have you branched into to telehealth, to telemed appointments? You know, it's a great question. I tried telehealth in the beginning, and I, I just, I, I found it was good for um, urgent care, um, but and it was good for the situation we were in. And I think ultimately, as the technology evolves, it will be great. Uh, the problem is. You can't ask, well, that's not the right terminology. I wouldn't want as a healthcare provider to provide my specialty to my patients if there was any decrease in the quality of care that I'm able to provide in the office because that would be selling them short. And the technology for these telehealth visits as far as eye care goes isn't all there yet. So, yes, it was urgent at a time where we were isolated, and it worked for that. And at some point, we will not have to reduce the standard of care by using it. But until then, it, it's going to have a very limited role, in, at least in ophthalmology and optometry, I believe. I appreciate your, uh, uh, your, your candor on that, because it's definitely an area of medicine that we've all been, been thrown into uh, without a lot of preparation over the last year. And kind of related to that, you'll hear people use the phrase a comprehensive eye exam. Um, how would you... Um, define that? Because I think it's something a term people hear of, but don't necessarily know what, what that entails. Both, both, um, both optometry and ophthalmology have national associations. In optometry, it's the American Optometric Association. And in ophthalmology, it's, it's I believe it's the American Ophthalmology Association. I'm, anyhow, <laughs> each, yeah. each association creates guidelines on what what determines the what tests are included in a comprehensive eye examination, and I believe they're very similar, if not exact. And and that includes a a visual acuity test, an observation of the eye using a certain types of equipment. It includes a, a glaucoma test and other tests that that are and dilation of the eye and examination of the retina, which which are deemed important to collect enough information to determine whether or not you can say that an eye is healthy or not. No, I think that's good to know. And sort of just stepping back big picture, what do you think makes a, uh, an eye doctor visit you know, go as well as it can for the, for the patient and for the, for the provider? Well, I think, you know, this is a dance of two. 
but the and and there's there's onus on both sides from the provider's perspective the provider needs to be a very good listener and the, and a good caretaker someone who who went into this so that they could care for people and and when when you combine as a doctor in any field i think the skills of wanting to to first and foremost take care of the patient and not just the condition in the chair, but the actual person, listen to their needs and, and then act on them in the patient's best interest. You have a, a good doctor. Uh, you know, if doctors display their, their diplomas and their academic credentials all over their offices all the time, but all the patients know at the end of the eye exam, or any exam for that matter, is if their needs were met. And if their needs are met, they felt that they had a good experience generally. And from the patient's standpoint, there's certain information a doctor needs to have to, to do their job to the best of their ability. And that includes everything from providing the proper information for their insurance through giving them, answering their questions clearly and directly and um, communicating with the doctor why they're there. Uh, the more information the doctor has, and the, the better that exam will go. And often patients are like, why do they need to know this? Or why do they need to know that? Don't worry about that. That's because we, we're trained to put all that information together to provide that care that we so want to provide for you. So that's the dance between the patient and the doctor. And there's probably a lot more to it. No, that, that, that's, that's very well said. I appreciate that. And so, you know, sort of across the, you know, the, the span of the appointment, the appointments that, that um, you have, there's sort of, I think, kind of common questions or maybe even common misperceptions that, that you feel like you need to address or, or dispel, you know, across your, uh, your patient population. Yeah, very much so. I, I, I've been in practice for 28 years now and uh, we, we get, very similar questions over the course of our day generally and occasionally you know there's a red herring or something that we we haven't been hasn't been asked of us before but uh, generally that's that's an exception not the rule so we're very familiar with answering uh questions like that i can't remember the last time i got stumped <laughs> but uh we get we get similar questions about diseases and um people you know want to know what's going on and we want to be able to answer that yeah. Are there, is there sort of a, a key message, the key thing that you want your patients to know, you know, kind of across the, 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 the age and health span of, what, of, of who you see? Is there sort of a, a common message that you, you like to impart to your patients? I think there's probably a, a lot of them. Uh, the most important, though, you know, being a limited call here, and um, is that if you see something change in your vision, don't wait for it to go away. Don't wait for it to change or get better. Most, most of the problems in the human eye that occur and are caught within a short period of time from 24 to 48 hours can be treated successfully, especially since 2007 when these anti-VEGF medicines came on the market. So, so if you have any question about anything you see, set up a doctor's appointment. If you have floaters in your eye, things that float around. Don't just watch them for a couple days and wait for them to go away. You might be getting a retinal tear, which could lead to a retinal detachment. The sooner that that gets to the retinal specialist, the better off you'll be. With the eyes, it's, it's interesting because the eyes are the only way that a doctor of any kind can look into the human body without 
penetrating it or cutting it open. And when we do, we see active working blood vessels that are a mirror to how the blood vessels inside your body are, how a mirror of your whole health. So eye exams are, are very important. Even the primary care physicians will tell you, have you had an eye exam? Because they are very important for not only picking up eye disease, but also many systemic diseases as well. And those are some points that I'd, I'd like people to consider. When you have an eye problem, get it checked right away. Don't wait. It may make the difference between saving your vision and not. That's fantastic points. And I I've heard the expression over the years, time lost is vision lost. And, and I think that that's a great message you try to impart to your patients. Because I think, you know, a lot of us believe in wishful thinking and, oh, maybe time's going to heal heal all wounds. And, and I think we know, particularly in vision vision care, that that's not a, that's not a wise approach. Um, do you have patients ask you about... Most of the treatments that restore your vision or save it are painless. So there's really no reason not to get it checked. I'm sorry, I just wanted to add that. No, oh, great, great point. And um, particularly in the in macular degeneration, we get a lot of questions here about vitamin supplements. I was wondering if you could tell us um, uh, what you recommend and, and others uh, uh, for for people that are um, that have forms of AMD. Sure, sure. So sure. there have been there's a group of studies, the ARED studies, and the latest ARED studies. Um, uh, the, the, the recommendations are, are turned by companies into supplements uh, to take with, with some data to suggest that they may help. Now, I always tell people if, if they can't hurt you, and um, the, the question is with all vitamin supplements, how well are they absorbed by your intestinal tract, and, and what benefit do you really get out of them? There was a study of uh, vitamins in the 70s where they dredged the New York City sewers and they came up with, you know, hundreds of thousands of undigested pills. So, so what you want to do if you're going to take A-Red supplements, I definitely recommend you take them if you have AMD and your doctor recommended it. If you're going to take them, make sure that you're also getting the proper nutrition because the things that are in those vitamins, you can also get from specific vegetables and fruits and even egg yolks, the, the lutein, the zazenthine, these are important things that help your macula. And we know that your body absorbs them and they go right to your macula to protect it when you eat foods. And some of the vitamins will as well. So they are supplements and that word supplement is really important to understand because they're supplemental. They're not supposed to, they're not gonna to keep you from eating what you need to eat to protect your eyes as well. So make sure that you use them only as supplements to a healthy diet. And then you're doing everything you can that we know to protect yourself using your Amsler grid, taking your supplements, and eating a healthy diet with foods your doctor recommends. Great. And that's, it really does sound like, like key ways to keep uh, a AMD from, from progressing. And we have a uh, question today of somebody wondering about cataract surgery. Does it help AMD? Does it worsen AMD? Like, is there a connection between cataract surgery and AMD? A long time ago, there was a study that showed that cataract surgery can worsen AMD. Since then, there have been other studies that have uh, that have that have uh, countered that claim. It's the the jury's out on that. Um, but if you have any kind of macular issue or retinal issue, a responsible cataract surgeon will refer you to a retinologist for a complete retina exam and give you the okay to go ahead with cataract surgery. And if, if you have those two doctors in the pictures, it's probably a safe bet that it would be safe to move ahead. 
At a certain point, though, the cataract, which is a reversible type of blindness, will need to come out because you, you won't be able to see at all. So while it's okay to delay it, we, a lot of doctors will recommend if there's any retinal issues that you delay the cataract surgery as, as far out as possible until you either are threatened with losing your driver's license or unable to do the things that you love to do in your life. Uh, so yes and no. Uh, there's no data that strongly shows cataract surgery worsens any kind of retinal diseases, but there have been some studies that, that have shown different. Well, thanks. I have a couple questions for you, Dr. Glazer, about related to the pandemic. And, you know, at, at this recording, we're about two weeks, three weeks shy of the one-year mark. Um, what have you seen in your patients? Are you seeing signs of loneliness or, or depression or kind of, you know, are, are there pandemic-related uh, concerns that, 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 you've been, that you've been finding these last 11 months? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, in, in that age group, um, everything, I, first of all, across all age groups, we're, we're, we've all been impacted by this psychologically, and we, we all deal with the, that kind of stress differently. In that age group, it's particularly worrisome. People are, are kept from seeing their families and, and their grandchildren, and that is very stressful for a lot of them. Uh, they 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 can't go out to get the things they need to get, so they're they're limited in, in what they're able to do. They, their families who used to bring them things won't bring them stuff. It's very hard, very hard on that population. What do you recommend to them when you see signs of this in in, in your patients? Recommend to my patients? Well, you, you I, I find I try and find out. Um, that if they're able to use um, digital devices to communicate with their families. And um, I really, I don't have many recommendations other than that at this point. We all, we all have to be safe and we all have to isolate and um, hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully they understand that I, I don't have really many recommendations for them other than that. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I think it, I think it's great to at least, to have the conversation and kind of get it out there with that this is hard for this is hard for everybody. And my other pandemic question was, we're all spending a lot of time looking at screens. Um, any tips on that, or have you what have you observed with with your patients over uh, our year of in, in increased screen time? You know, it, it, that's a great question, and it's highly relevant uh, because there it's highly relevant to a young population, children. Uh, young children up to the age of, you know, uh, adolescence are with more screen. Their eyes are still developing, and the screen usage uh, can can increase, and has been shown in a recent study to increase the myopia, uh, which is nearsightedness. And myopia increase has been shown to later in life lead to increased risk of having macular degeneration and other eye problems. So, so. In the short term, the children's prescriptions are going up, and in the long term, there may be a big burden on public health because there will be more uh, age-related eye diseases in that generation is in their 60s and 70s. For, for people who are already adults, it, it, we see eye strain and sore eyes as a consequence, but we don't see any kind of long-term impact on their eye health uh, from screen time. Mm -hmm. That's good to know. Well, we have a couple more questions from our, our audience before we, we conclude. I have a caller from West Virginia that's wondering, what can what can she do around the house to to make her home um, a little safer uh, for pe for people with with um, age related vision loss? Or you know, are there do you ever um, 
uh, you know, come across this question uh, in, in your practice about what can you do to make your home a little safer? You know, um, from a safer standpoint, uh, I, I know that you, with macular degeneration, you never really lose your side vision. You lose mostly your central vision. So, so putting putting things uh, near near um, steps, putting things near railings or uh, sharp table edges that that you're easily able to pick up with your side vision can can alert you to what's around you and maybe keep you physically safe. Um, it's I, I don't really know much more about that. I, I know that um, in, in the early stages of macular degeneration, it can be very challenging because you're 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 still trying to understand your surroundings and get familiar with them. And with time. Practice is also important. Make sure that you're able to, you know, count your steps and the spaces around you. Get familiar with how far away things are so you can judge where you are. Make sure if you have doors that need to be shut, like refrigerator doors and things like that, that there are certain types of beeps on them if they're left open too long so that you can hear them and things like that. Great. We actually got a follow-up question about screen time. One caller wondering, um, are there types of filters or settings um, that, that we could adjust to, um, uh, you know, either get higher contrast or, or make things a little, um, uh, you know, less strain on the eye when looking at a screen? I'm sorry, can you say that again? Uh, we had a caller wanted to follow up on the, the question about um, screen time. Are there, are there filters or settings that could, that could help make, um, that could help reduce some eye strain? There's some, there's some uh, conversation out there about the blue light that, that screens emanate uh, and that for some people may be more sensitive to it than others. And by, um, by uh, eliminating the, the um, blue light, they may feel better. And, and there's some suggestion that it, the blue light exposure over many, many, many years can contribute to macular degeneration. So, so blue light filters might be something to try. Great, thank you. So, Doctor Doctor Glazer, just to just conclude, um, yeah, you, you say you've, you've had a uh, uh, you know several decades uh, in vision health. I was wondering, is there sort of a, a big picture piece of advice that you that you'd like to uh, to leave us with about how we can best take care of our vision health or or anything related to that? Sure, sure. Well, it's very important to have regular eye what your eye doctor would want is an annual eye exam, especially in people over the age of 50. And um, communication yeah. on anything going on with your eyes that might be out of the ordinary. And, and also know that looking at things, using your eyes to see things, you cannot harm them. The only thing you want to remember about that is, is that you, you want to protect your eyes from the sun by wearing good Sunglasses with UV protection. Mm -hmm. okay, I think we may have lost you for a second there. I'm here. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. You uh, you talk about good good sunglasses, uh, UV protection. Yep. Yep. You know, UV protection. See your your eye doctor annually. Use your Amsler grid and and report anything that you're suspicious that might be worrisome to you uh, to your doctor. Uh, Great. 
Well, thank you. And so to our listeners, um, this concludes the discussion. Dr. Glazer, I really appreciate the the chance for you to, to spend time with the Bright Focus audience, and, and you gave a lot of great uh, great points that I think will help all of us uh, you know, get, get the, the best eye care that we can. All right, great. Well, thank you. It was wonderful, and uh, I'm glad that I could offer some, add some value to everyone's uh, health care. Well, fantastic. We hope to have you back soon. And to our audience, this concludes today's Bright Focus chat, and thank you so much for, for joining us. The information provided in this recording is a public service of Bright Focus Foundation and is not intended to constitute medical advice. Please consult your physician for personalized medical, dietary, and or exercise advice. Any medications or supplements should only be taken under medical supervision. Bright Focus Foundation does not endorse any medical products or therapies.